Hello, this is Jeff Shaw here on Radio FM88 Australia. Julia's just uh, coming in the green room. She'll be ready for us. And um, it's just gone past 7 o'clock in Queensland, 9 o'clock just gone past in New Zealand, and, of course, three minutes past 10 on Thursday morning in our UK listeners. And um, our special guest tonight is a local boy. The name's all written up there, Timothy Brown. I call him Australia's um, version of Billy Elliot. And, uh, I tell you, I've been talking to Timmy, and I've got to tell you, fascinating. I'm fascinated um, with the role and purpose that a young boy coming through the ranks, just like Billy Elliot in, um, in Yorkshire, in a town where you're ridiculed, you're bullied. There's a heap, a heap of bloody stuff. And then from a, a, a fellow like me who's played rugby, rugby league, soccer, um, as well as you know, surf lifesaving, you know, the stuff in Australia you expected to do, and then you come across a guy like Timothy Brown, you don't realise just what they have to put up with, not only emotionally, physically and mentally, but the amount of fitness and um, the food regime the body types, skin fats, the sheer um, capabilities. I mean, that pound for pound, they're like an ant that can lift above the weight, forget those girls above their you know, shoulders and raise them up. And I tell you, I had a, a newfound respect just by having a chat with Timothy this afternoon. And I really think that anyone who's watching and listening to the show now or later on would be suitably impressed as I am, and um, and Timothy, mate, it, it's um, thank you for coming on, and thank you for um, starting your journey and, and explaining um, what's it like to be in a pool of, of really talented, creative people. Amazing. Tell us. Wait, wait. Yeah. yeah. No, no, thank you, Jeff. Um, yeah, it definitely has been an incredible journey, and often I have to kind of pinch myself and think, you know, I've, I've had such a lucky lucky upbringing and um and uh, incredible um yeah incredible life experience that sometimes i just yeah take it for granted um but and 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 when i say lucky it's because i've been able to really pursue what i wanted to pursue from a young boy and that was uh to dance and believe me when it when when I was young, when I was eight years old, when I decided that I wanted to dance professionally, um, many people said to me, "That's not, that's not possible. That's not the way you you can go." Um, and yeah, you just, I just seem to be able to to journey on and 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 really experience some amazing amazing adventures. So yeah, really happy to to share anything tonight about about that. Um, would you like me to go go back a little bit into my um, beginnings? I, I just, um, and you're supposed to tell a short story, beginning, middle, and end. But sometimes um, you can start off in the middle and say um, how you got coming to the Royal. Oh, not, it's not Royal. I just threw that out there. But um, Queensland Ballet, because um, that in itself is a huge achievement. That's like representing yeah. Queensland state of origin, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It is. You're representing your state for sure. Um, so I, I had a, a, 
really lucky and um, fortunate um, training background. So as a young boy, I was a country boy. I grew up in a little town called Elphingstone, which was uh, about 15 minutes from Castlemaine in Victoria, for anyone who knows that area. And um, I got into a prestigious um, school, uh, Victorian College of the Arts, and that's in Melbourne. Um, and then I trained further at the, the Australian Ballet School. So with the, everyone who was in the school, it's kind of like everyone from around Australia who could get in, who auditioned, and the auditions were very grueling and very intense. We had, it, it was a week-long audition. <laughs> we had to attend every day for a week. Um, we had to do all the syllabus, all the classes. Um, I remember having, you know, a panel of six of these expert um, dance teachers and trainers and including like the director of the Australian Ballet Company and uh, and of the school and people, you know, watching you and, and, and testing you. Um, and it's funny, as a, as a kid, you have, you know, you know, you know that you've got this thing going on in your head, like, like, I want to be here and I know that I can do it, but are they going to see, are they going to want me? Are they going to pick me? Um, and it was a, yeah, it was a really, it was a really fun, interesting time um, to, to be doing that as, as a kid. So yeah, I went through the Australian Ballet School and the, you get told this all, all the way through your training to prepare for the fact that you might not make it. And they always say that you might not make it as a dancer. And, and, you know, you just kind of hear it and you just kind of put it, you have to put it aside. You can't, if you kind of lean into this, like, oh, I might not make it, then it's it's just too depressing. So I got to the end of my degree in, at Australian Ballet School and um, it came time to, you know, to get, to, to find a job. Um, and there was only three spots out of our class. So our class was made up of 15 students, um, three spots to go into the Australian Ballet Company. And and that's all we knew. I didn't get a spot in the Australian Ballet Company. And I, and I kind of was like, that's fine. But then the next day we had a visiting director from both the Western Australian Ballet Company and this Queensland Ballet Company. And they're the only two other ballet companies in Australia to that that perform and and a professional dance company ballet companies um, at the time, and I was like, okay, I've got another chance. And so the Queensland ballet director came in to to the to our to our studio, and um, his name, the uh, former director now, uh, Francois Klaus, uh, European guy, and he was really interested in dancers that could. Um, really interpret music and have a sense of play and and work with him as a choreographer. So he was a a, a director who created the works for you or, or on you um, rather than perhaps bringing in a ballet and then you just learn off the video. And so I remember him just saying, um, just show me what you've got. Just dance. Just I'm going to put some music on and you just dance. <laughs> <laughs> and lucky for me, I was a bit of an improv kind of guy, so I just went for it and um, and got the job. So that was that was really great. But I, 
<laughs> I got my start in in Queensland, and I, I I flew to Queensland not really knowing much about. It. I had a I had a friend there, and it was you know it was about um, uh, how old was I? I was like um, just turned twenty. I had a friend there, um, and and yeah, and I never looked back, and I've been here ever since. So yeah, that that was my beginnings. <laughs> so um, what age were you when you joined our illustrious Queensland Ballet? Yeah. How old were you? Yeah. Oh, how old was I? So so I joined when I was um, just turned just turned twenty one. Audition when I was twenty, just turned twenty one. Um, that's normal for for a dancer to start professionally at a you know that that kind of age um and that really gives scope that I'll, that the dance career is is somewhat limited um i'm 40 now um i dance professionally with the company for eight years and there was so much um yeah you you literally lived in a <clears throat> excuse me um in a bubble of of this of, of a beautiful world where we performed um night after night and 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 literally toured the world with with the works that we what we learnt. so yeah it was really really cool so let's make that comparison, like I said at the beginning there, between a footballer and their regime in the gym and their uh, having a, a food nutritionist. What's your mm. regime Monday mm. to Friday before you perform Friday night or Saturday or do a Sunday matinee? What, what's mm. your five-day so you Everyone has their own ritual. Um, I say ritual because... It, there's a bit of superstition around if you know if I don't do this right stretch or if I don't do this amount of you know push-ups or if I don't eat you know this breakfast then I might not be in on form um so yeah people have their own rituals um <clears throat> I would we would get into the studio um at um people would get in there as early as eight o'clock and then do about an hour and a half of their own warm-up um and then we'd formally start our own class uh, start a company class from from about 9 30 10 o'clock and that would go for about an hour and a half um that would be a very formally structured um bar center um work um sometimes and often it was males and females were separated so the males we would um focus more on our jumps and allegro um working on um particular movement that is more particular to to male dancers um and then we would go launch straight into what would be probably the still in the morning the most virtuous virtual <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> virtuoso type work um so that would be any solos that we are performing so for example if we're doing the sleeping beauty um one of the big solos there is the bluebird and i remember um really loving that particular solo bluebird had lots of repetitive aerial jumps like you're a bird taking flight um so you'd focus on that and then more towards the end of the day 
you would come back to to more of your company big group work um, whereby it was all about getting the precision precision of the timing um, everyone working really tightly collectively um, and, and you know formation um, and at, but at the same time developing the work so so really being able to contribute to what artistically is happening in terms of the movement the style the style was generally very much dictated by the director because he had very um you know strong ideas and that was great so so but whatever you could give in terms of suggestions for movements and often it came to your individual thing so if you had something special a movement or a you know something that you wanted to put forward you you would um and that would become a part of the creation and part of the um creative process as well that day because the director he's looking at it as if he's looking down the lens of a camera and, and that lens of the camera is the as the mm -hmm. audience i'd say it's taking mm -hmm. the perception of a member of the audience who's watching the whole the whole stage presence isn't it it's because you've got all these different movements coming forth and you're trying mm -hmm. to escapulate and bring it together and it's almost like it's got to have like Fibonacci, it's got to have all that shape and form, um, mm -hmm. like composing a picture, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you've got different movements taking place, and then the music. It, I tell you, you know, like there's something to it, eh? I mean, that's a lot of bloody mind and emotional coming together, isn't it? It really is. You really have to stay connected to everybody in the room um, and be able to collaborate and, and work with with people and. You know, when you're working with your body and when you're working with, as you said, like the emotional side, like portraying a character, um, people are vulnerable and people, you know, are pushing themselves to their limits um, on some days or, or, you know, or the director's trying to find something in you that you don't necessarily know that you've got. So there is there is a, a, a definite trust um, and, and um, connectivity that you build with your colleagues in the room. And, and as you said, as the director will often have more knowledge around where we're going or what's happening with the ballet than you do. So you really have to trust that, that they know what, what's going on. So they might know what the, you know, know what the set behind you is that, you ha that hasn't been created yet in the workshop. Um, but you're you know you, so so you there is a lot of a lot of trust happening in in that process yeah hey um with queensland ballet they're obviously getting funding from the queensland government through the um the god lotto casket people but um hmm. you get corporate funds as well so now that you've retired and you've become an artistic director i mean have you got your hand up into the you know, Queensland government lotto funds, or how do you, how do you fund your operation? Sure. Um, so I um, so so Queen, Queensland Ballet has has had to make a big shift, um, like a lot of um, organisations and companies, whereby we we rely much less on government funding and much more on. Um, it, it really does come down to 
your support networks in terms of um, a lot of philanthropic, so a lot of people who will put money forward for projects or um, um, for court, you know, say you're doing a tour to, uh, say we're doing a, a tour to um, London, someone might say, oh, look, I'll help sponsor the company to that place. So funding has to be really diversified now. Um, for me, I worked as an artistic director for Ballet Theatre of Queensland for six years. Um, I've recently stepped off that position as well um, to move into an, another area, which I can talk about in a bit. But that was um, that was all privately funded. So we had a we had a um, we have people that there was a youth ballet. So so the families would put in. Uh, and then we'd have other other sponsors to to make that happen. So yeah, funding is long. The diversity is better because we, unfortunately, in Australia, the arts isn't hugely funded. <laughs> but I, but that's probably um, a global thing too. I'm I'm feeling. We have the there. Um, West End have um, shut down um, a lot of the big shows, including um, Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> decades of running as social distancing is make it only viable for them to have patrons you know spread out x um, number of meters from each other so what yep. are you actually doing in that respect i mean are you doing things on zoom or are you putting stuff up on other social media sites as a, as a way yeah well I'm, i'm remembering julia our our um zoom classes um that they were They were they were great. Um, it, it was. <laughs> um, we all we all had to move together um, into this new world of of how we were going to stay connected with our bodies and our mind um, during the pandemic, um, and it's still happening. And and I just today I was filling out risk assessments around what could be another. People are worried, you know, what could be um, for us, you know, as we move through this pandemic. But um, we did, we did go on Zoom. Um, we um, so now I, I'm referring to the company I work for um, called Access Arts, and I um, facilitate and um, manage their arts program. Uh, Access Arts is a organisation that supports artists with disability. So I work with people who are often vulnerable or often, um, um, you know, um, marginalised um, or, or often um, find it difficult to, you know, be seen or heard in this world. Um, So it's about providing those guys and providing people with disability with opportunities to, to do do their thing and be proud artists um, uh, that they are. So yeah, we 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 moved to Zoom. Um, we did a whole term on Zoom. It was really challenging. Um, and we've just come back into the studio, um, and it's. Uh, I really hope that we can stay there. <laughs> Yeah. There's nothing like being in a studio oh. together. There's nothing like it. The, the, the whole energy shifts. Um, 
it, it feels, you feel, yeah, you, you feel the space, your body in the space, you feel your relationship to others in the space. Um, and it, it, it enables the mind, I think, to have more um, understanding and awareness about your own body in relation to other people's bodies and, um, yeah, and, and, and work as a collective um, energetically. Um, but, yeah. Are, did, is Exercise the one at Yoronga or the one in Portage Valley? Ah, so, yeah, we have a studio in Yoronga. Um, that's our visual arts uh, studio where people go in and do all their, you know, oil paintings or collages and all, all that visual arts goodness. Uh, and then in Ashgrove, we, we run our performing arts where we have our drama, dance, singing. Um, uh, we have a drumming circle. Um, so all that all that good stuff as well. Drumming circle. Hey, uh, so what's the one on the valley then? Oh, that's a is it in the valley? Uh, no, you, at the at the moment because we've had to shift around a little bit um, due to due to funding. <laughs> There's always a little bit of um, swaying and here there. Um, we we did have some offices. Um, yeah, I'm this one for you. It's the one here for term three. That's Is us. That, yeah. That's us. Oh, that's so yeah. So so term three Zoom timetable. Um, and so we do have Zoom for the visual artists because they find um, they can work still quite effectively um, in, on the Zoom platform. But when we spoke to our performing artists, they really did yearn to come back into the studio. So we've got, uh, yeah, our visual arts, those are the few headings in yellow at the top for visual arts. And if you keep scrolling down, it might come into the performing arts. Um, uh, yeah, just those three. I, I think you're in the yeah you're in the visual arts tab. So they're the three of our workshops at Yuranga. Oh, okay. My apologies. Yeah, that's all good. Uh, performing arts, yeah. Performing arts, yeah. Cool. Let's get into that. It means anyone who's listening overseas or here in Australia, they can actually come online, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, come online. Um, we, I mean, that's a great thing about Zoom um, is that it, it does give people opportunity who are perhaps um, find it difficult to come in um, or it be transport if they live remotely. Um, so there's the rhythm circle. You can see that just in the middle of the screen. Now that's the drumming, the drumming circle that we have. Um, and oh, the, that is... Both club here in Brisbane, yeah? Yes, yeah. Tuesdays, twelve o'clock to three thirty at the end of the day. Yeah, so that's a that's a real fun time. <clears throat> um, yeah, so so we're we're back in the studio. Um, yeah, it, it it just feels really good to be um, able to see each other face to face. So fingers crossed days like that. Is that my phone coming through? Uh, no, it's gone. Someone from the UK hitting me up. I just had to tell him I'm on the radio. Oh, good. Carry on. 
Okay. Oh, all good? Well, she's a clairvoyant psychic. She should have known we we're on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, um, that's hey, listen, um, okay, so oh, Julie's come back up on we've got two spots. I oh, see, um, I see what's happened here. <laughs> oh, you got, we're, we're talking to a twin now. Hey, um, <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> pregnant pause. Hey, listen, um, you actually put me onto a uh, a YouTube site, yeah, yeah, uh, which I think it resonates really well, and it talks about really the actual the show itself. You know, you do all this preliminary work for years and years and years, and then you get on the on the stage. And how long does this show would actually go for? Like an hour and a half, or what? Yeah, yeah. So depending on the work. Um... Contemporary ballets uh, generally um, can be a bit shorter, and they're often shown in what we call a triple bill, so three three works in one evening. Uh, and then the, the the classical ballets, so your Swan Lakes, your Sleeping Beauties, those you know Romeo and Juliets, they're often shown in two or three acts. So you'll see you know uh, about an act maybe an hour and then they'll have a break and then you'll come back and you'll have another hour. So yeah, they're, they're a bit longer. Um, how long are you actually on the stage? How long are you performing? Uh, typically for a performance, we'd, we'd, the curtain would go up at around, uh, I'm going to say 7.30, 7 o'clock. Um, and then the curtain might not come down till about 10. Um, Sometimes, so you so really got to keep, so keep your head is, um, Are you on on the on the stage for the whole duration, or are you like those American footballers who are in specialist teams and they get run on, then you do your thing, then you run back off, and then another one runs on? Yes, yeah, uh, more like that. Uh, really? If if you have a big role to play, um, say for example. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a really good one where this the lead dancer is on a lot um let's say juliet out of romeo and juliet it you've got to really build up your stamina or you know if you know if you're playing romeo you you've really got to build your stamina to to be able to portray that role for the full length of the evening um but cleverly the choreographers create enough space for you to really go for it and then be able to slow down the pace and take your breath and and yeah. So if you run off. This I mean, is where, as Juliet, I have to I have to ask, you know, and that role Romeo and you know you you get the group and then the duets and then the solos and typically yeah. as a man I think you have even more work because you got to lift up the woman each time, right? <laughs> you, like you do. Sort of like, you do. Do you ever do it and you kind of go, oh. Damn, <laughs> I'm <laughs> Yeah. Oh well, I remember a story. Um, so, well, we're trained to. I'll give you a bit of a technique class. So, we, when when we're lifting the girl from behind, so um, bracing their back, we're told to really bring our wrists together, 
and just really kind of push straight up. So it's kind of like a, and she'll prep. So we'll both bend, uh, and yeah. then she'll jump, and then we've we just it's like a a, a straight push up over the head, uh, and that could be other ways. So another way is that we support her hip and then her leg, and we've got to have it in the right spot because if it's wonky, she'll be wonky. So again, it's like a bend and a press, and that's called a press lift when we take them over our heads. Um, I did one in a Midsummer Night's Dream, which was probably the scariest one that I ever did, and that was called a sit press. And she's balancing sitting on your palm, and you have to press her still over your head. So she's sitting on your palm uh, above. And the trick is that you can hold the bottom of her foot as a little, and she'll kind of push off that hand as a bit of a lever but then after a moment if you know she doesn't you free that hand and she's just balancing up there so that 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 was in a, a procession in in midsummer night's dream when i had to walk press her at the top of the stage and then walk her walk her with her <laughs> over my head and a di diagonally down down the down the stage that was scary hey just <laughs> How tall are you then? How tall are you? Um, I'm just under six foot, so five something. Five, five seven. eleven. So about eight, one five eleven. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, so, what weight were you throughout the whole career with the Queensland Ballet? Then? I had to. We pretty much stayed a very consistent weight. Um, uh, you know, I can't. I, and I think that's why I'm pretty much the same as I am now, yeah, even yeah, even all these years later, because we we, it's funnily funnily enough, it's actually written into our contracts that we can't change our <laughs> our weight and size and you know, which is. If you yeah. say eighty kilos, you're actually bench pressing and pushing the scale up. These girls, I mean, what's their body shape? I mean, they five foot five. Um, yeah, size ten. Yeah, they're, they're all very athletic. Um, they all are, but they, as as a lot of a lot of dancers will range in in size. Um, and so when when it comes to pas de deux, which is the the French term for partnering together, um, we'll we'll work with um, a matched size partner um, often. Um, so, yeah, so I was fairly, you know, in the middle. Um, so I had a pretty yeah, easy to match, not hard to match. Exactly. I was pretty easy to match. <laughs> so you're saying that the girl has to be the same height and same body shape. Is that what you're saying? Or are you, you're looking at a girl who's a bit lower in size so that you could easily push her up? I mean, I'm, I'm just, yeah. it's fascinating. Your body you know, I mean, you're doing push-ups and all these other attributes to get your, uh, rather than doing the big heavy weights, eh? Would that be right? Yeah. So a lot of the work that we, the dancers will do is more around, um, I guess, because we, we have to spend a lot of fit time physically working. So, uh, so you can't spend too much of your time work like training outside of that so a lot of it is free body 
weight or working, um, you know, resisting with your own body. Um, and then now, and, and then of course, I, I loved um, going to the gym and doing mostly free weights and things like that. Um, and Pilates is a big one for dancers. I never personally liked Pilates. Um, I'm probably going to be shunned by the dance community by saying that. But I like more um, full body holistic um, ways of working as opposed to thinking about, um, you know, sort of micromanaging uh, the muscle groups. Um, or, or micro working them, um, and I think um, Julia, that's why I like qigong too. Because when we're moving, we're really thinking about the whole body. Um, we might we might think of, we might think of, about a bit about like the the way the head turns or looking to the hand, but you've still got an image of the whole body in mind, um, especially when you're talking about being a monkey or a tiger or something. <laughs> All the monkey looking out for the tiger. <laughs> so speaking of which, what was like your favorite? What was your favorite and what was your least favorite role during your career? Ah, uh, okay. So I really love I'm gonna come back to Midsummer Night's Dream. I got to play the role of um a like a fairy prince, which was I think some sort of made up role where I got to be you know quite glamorous and princely but also in the other scenes Lysander which was one of the lovers that gets played off each other um, um, is it, yeah Shakespeare was was really clever in, in creating all this confusion um, so I was one of the lovers that Puck puts a spell on and when you wake up the first person that you see you fall in love with uh, and I believe I fell it woke up and fell in love with somebody, a girl who had already, was already in love with the other guy and then so there's all this confusion and it's it's a really fun ballet. So, so that was fun, Lysander. Um, and, then I, and then I really enjoyed um, just contem contemporary works whereby we didn't have to apply to a character we could literally just express the music through our bodies um, and work uh, okay so we did this wonderful piece to live Japanese drumming um, oh, yeah. wow. kudo, kudo drummers I think they were there kudo, yeah. kudo and we had them live on stage in the back like, dum, 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 dum. you just hang on we, you're speaking your microphone's just getting caught in your hand and I'm moving it the same Oh, I'll keep it a little bit away. Um, yeah, so the the drumming was there, and we had to really synchronize ourselves with with the with the drumming movements. You know, pulsating and and moving together is is a unis, you know unified group, and that to me too was really really powerful. Um, uh, so you know, no story, no you know no characters we're just continually coming out and moving as bodies in space and another one that's similar to that which i really enjoyed was the rite of spring and at first i don't know if you guys have 
listened to Tchaikovsky's score, The Writer's Spring. Um, but it is quite difficult to listen to at first because it's, and, and, and the history of Tchaikovsky, uh, no, Stravinsky, I'm getting that wrong. It's Stravinsky's Writer's Spring. It was so controversial at the time when he composed it back in uh, early 19th, uh, early 19th century. And at, at, at first it's like, oh, what is this music? But, but the complexity and the emotional raw power behind the music is, is quite sublime. Um, so, uh, and that's the beauty of, of the fact that we got to perform to incredible music and often it was played live in the orchestra pit or up on stage with us, yeah. Yeah, I think that that production, the Rights of Spring. I remember hearing reviews about it. You, you, you guys did. You, you, your teams did great jobs. Everybody was really impressed. Mm. And um, the the drumming one it actually reminds me of um, a creation myth that the Hopi Indians have, and they said sort of the first beings had to go to the South Pole with their drum and play the drum. And as they played the drum in harmony with the Earth's feet. Um, all this energy started to flow through them into the earth and then you know sort of these light streams came out which then became like the spots on a form and um, oh, yeah. the, the energy faces so yeah there's something really special about the drumming i think the indians use it a lot in their music as well mm -hmm. for the heartbeat what about aboriginal music have you uh, had the opportunity to work with indigenous dancers and um, learn some of the dance and incorporate that into your work Yes, yeah, we had yeah, a particular it. work. It was a really beautiful, um, we had a, um, a in, Indigenous um, artist come and work with us um, for a particular piece that was um, performed, I think it would have been maybe as a part of Brisbane Festival or it was a few years back now. William Barton was the um, uh, didgeridoo artist uh, William William's very prolific and he gets lots of gigs and he's just incredible. Um, and he, um, I, yeah, he played the score uh, live. Um, so we had we had William playing the didge and then we um, had a um, an artist. And if I'm trying to rem if I can remember her name, it'll it'll come back to me. Um, it, it was either Gail Marbo who, who it could have been possibly Gail Marbo or, or one of her colleagues. Um, and we, it was really interesting because we are able to be gifted this music, um, especially, sorry, gifted this movement, especially, but it had to be very specific in the sense that it was, um, that we were, um, granted the the ability, granted the ability to perform it, um, and that was you know I think quite special and quite sacred. So I remember um, a, a a passage of movement that we um, explored and we were taught, and it was the there was the feet moving quite. Um, um, you know, kind of like a, a gentle stomping into the earth, um, but coming forward. So it's like a progressional movement forward with, with a stomping in that, I think the arms were just 
quite relaxed by the side, um, but then moved moved up gradually. Um, and we were to, and it, it came with a visual component. So as we were moving, uh, our feet kind of, you know, um, stomping forward and our arms slowly rising, we were, we were told to imagine the sun rising. So a visual um, component was, was that change of, of darkness into, a, you know, a cracking of light of dawn and then into, a, you know, the, what colour was it and then into, you know, like the, maybe it was a beautiful hue of pink and then, and then the sun slowly rising and coming into, into the vision. And I just thought that was such a beautiful way to learn um, some movement that was, you know, that was gifted to us um, to, to, to perform. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, um, that must have so, been... Can I interrupt there and say um, we've got five minutes of um, pure bliss of Timothy Brown's choreography. <laughs> you ready for that? <laughs> yeah, right. sums it up. So, um, so this is the work that I created for... Um, yeah. you, can, you can talk over it in a second. Okay, so this was my first major work for Queensland Ballet. Um, it was called Thread, and it was based on the three fates of the, the, the Greek gods, um, of the who decided your fate. The, the, There's something about the violin too, isn't it? Yeah, I chose this piece to... ...example of my works. I'll just turn it down so you can talk. I'm not quite hearing you. Yeah. So after Queensland Ballet, I worked with Expressions Dance Company, and we we worked much more. Um, into the floor with a much more grounded and connected um, way of, of, of moving. And that's, this is a really great example because you have to really trust and release and connect with the floor a lot more. This is one of my favorite ballets that I made called Glitch. And it's kind of about things not working. <laughs> or things going going wrong.
Thanks for coming on the show tonight. Thanks, very Brilliant, mate. Uh, um, so thankful to be here and to, to share this with you. It's been wonderful. captivates all your senses doesn't it you know like um when you see your guy like marcel marseille doing his imagery and you it's almost like an animation cartoon coming to life and you're watching it and the person who's in the audience is actually becoming their own interpreter isn't it? yeah and that's what they say dance does if you see yourself in other so you watch the dancer move and you recognize something that they are experiencing within yourself. Oh, you've used that violin track all the way through your little video. Clip. Yeah, I used it as the overlay for my. Very wow, good. thanks for sharing that. You used to share a lot of, um, yeah, it's, it's actually very clean lines, but um, very um, empathetic compassion and just allowance for the human condition it's wonderful so in terms of your you know you, you said you sort of started professionally you know you got through you succeeded where a lot of people failed when you were 20 and um, then after you were 40 you switched to teaching and directing as well others so as an evolution if you sort of look back on your journey mm. And um, you sort of had, I don't know, two suitcases that you carried with you on the journey and one that you dumped and one that you took with you. What was in the one that you dumped? <laughs> um, I think the one that I dumped was a, a lot of that self-loathing or um, which, which you never completely dumped, but that, that's, that sense of having to compare yourself to others, um, I interestingly it is it really is because we 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 get taught that way we get taught against somebody who's next to you you know learning um, and then you get you get picked for your roles that way you know um, audition after audition 
um, you, you, you are constantly trying to prove yourself. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good enough. I've, I'm still at my peak. I'm still capable. Um, you know, so I think I was able to let go a lot of that struggle. Um, and, and here the, the Ballet Theatre Queensland is when I got to work with young people um, and mentor them through that experience that I had in terms of having to, you know, audition and, and be compared to others and, um, you know, be, be raw on stage when you get things wrong or if, if you can't get, you know, or if you're told by the choreography you're doing it wrong and how do you deal with that and how do you improve and it was a beautiful experience because we we had a we had have a new cast every every year because um, we'd audition a new cast. Um, <laughs> that's Joel, my friend, and we were playing makeup. Um, and <laughs> um, and you saw them grow, and you saw them learn, and you saw them really develop and and get through a lot of those struggles um, about. You know self doubt and and all that. So yeah, but I think it's a lifelong lesson, though. Julian. Oh yeah, what was in the other suitcase? <laughs> <laughs> the one that you kept. I, I love this. I love this suitcase oh. analogy. Yeah. So the so the one that I kept, and you know, I have to keep reminding myself a little bit, is that. Um, we often move through roles. So, you know, one day we're the dancer and we're there, you know, um, depicting what, we're, what we've been given from, from the choreographer, the director. And then the next minute we're, we're offered the, the role of a, of a teacher. Um, and the next minute we're, um, you know, sorting out um, the finances of how an organisation might be funded. So it's about trying to keep um, we, we are we are the sum of all our parts. We are the sum of all the things that we do. Um, and even though we're given a certain role or a certain identity in in life, um, we are still much more expansive and much more capable. Um, and not to narrow narrow our thinking or narrow our minds about who we are and what we're doing at, in that particular time in our life. Um, yeah, that's something that I've tried to keep. Wow, you could be a Buddhist abbot. <laughs> so, yeah, we love some of our parts and we not to get too attached to certain roles that are our favourites and avoid the other ones that we don't, um, um, but not to limit ourselves yeah. in those roles either. Yeah. And then... Tim, I really wanted to, you know, from a Qigong perspective, um, I was really resonating with what you said about um, when you're working with the other dancers and you're learning how to sense where they are in the room as a group. That's not something that many people are aware or even know, well, that it's possible to know how to do that. Sort of, um, mm. And I guess even when you're teaching and you're working with, um, you know, people, what trick is it that you do? Do you sort of sort of, just open your senses and sense the space around the room and the bodies, or do you sort of connect with your heart and 
sort of feel the wavelength or what what is it that you do in order to be able to keep track of where the group is and where the bodies are in relationship to you mm -hmm. there is there is definitely time that it takes to build a trust and an awareness of the people in your group um, and, and I think it's a lot of it's to do with the beginning rituals that you might have. And one thing that we've adopted when we work with um, our theatre and dance group at Access Arts is that we will start by, you know, coming together in a circle and each of us will give, will say how we feel out of 10 um, for the day. Um, and we'll also give each other an, a colour so you might say I'm feeling yellow like the sun and just that little introduction around the circle will, will get you to you know connect and engage with each other and then it, it's it's a it's a slow process it's about okay well then let's just start with maybe just using the arms and we'll feel how that connects and now we might introduce moving in the space a bit maybe forward and back um let's try doing a new formation um, and, and and that gradual awareness that you build say over the you know the course of the warm-up or the course of the say the beginnings of a rehearsal it might be like about you know half hour period is when you develop this awareness of who's in the space and how we're how we're working together and then over time as a dance company that just builds and builds and builds and you just become this kind of breathing body. And, and one of the corrections that we would get from our directors and choreographers, and sometimes I'd say it to my students, is like, you, you, we need to breathe together, feel each other and breathe together. And just that, that connectivity um, becomes an ability over time yeah that's actually it's wonderful to hear you talk about that because yes it's the form moving in formation is not something that we often um you know outside of dancers or you know the team players have access to or um but mm -hmm. even you know we see flocks of birds moving as one flocks of animals and flocks of fish doing mm -hmm. it and humans do have that skill there's a technical word for it where um you you move in sync with a whole group and I think at times like this especially when we have so much conflict and polarization mm. um, any activity that we do as a collective that brings us back in sync with each other <laughs> should be like you know held up and encouraged three times as a yeah. way of you know, creating unison. a that blooms us again unison is the term we use in dance when we're moving together um, unison Unison, yeah, and that reminds me of of terms like solidarity, camaraderie, um, um, equality. Um, a lot of those things that are, are, are quite evident now in our society about how we can move forward. So maybe we should all learn a choreography together, learn a ballet yeah. together. Hey. Hey, boy. Jeff, what role would you like to play? Yeah. Oh, how can I? You want to be the mountain king or like the <laughs> Yeah, or like Actually, the evil what, role, what, what role do you could you see Jeff in? I could see Jeff as a really good kind of like the evil character that comes out, like in maybe 
maybe in um, Rothbard in Swan Lake where he's got the big cloak and he has to, he, you know, he's got possession of the swan and he can move her around and she's like, oh, no, but I, I have to break free of the spell. Maybe Jeff could do to, could you play Could you play an evil character, Jeff? Mr. Anderson, I presume. <laughs> yeah. I haven't got yeah. the face for Fundo, boys. I mean, I forgot the face for Fundo. It's nice to How much money do you want? <laughs> <laughs> the Matrix of Belly would be excellent. I think someone should do that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm Yeah, for sure. Hey, um, maybe yeah, I'll do that. Black Swan, wasn't it? Was that the movie Black Swan? Yeah. yeah. That was an awesome movie, wasn't it? Yeah, that was great because that was like a, a a ballet, a dance film, but also a psychological thriller. So we got to see um, a little bit of the um, complexity of of the darks, the the dark side of, of you know humanity and and the and the black swan and and yeah, that was that, that was really fun. Natalie, was it Natalie? Wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Um, that one, Natalie Portman. Yeah, she's one, yeah. she's quite amazing as an actress. Well, yeah, movie. That's one. So, I mean, it it takes kind of me into this. You mentioned it before the psychological aspects. You know, um, actors and actresses usually get the name or oh, drama queen and all that stuff. But when you start looking at life and you start playing on the big stage of life itself. And you have all these aspects and attributes. You go through all that <clears throat> characterization of life itself, and then all of a sudden you now put on the stage, and you're going to script, and then all of a sudden you've got to go and play that particular role. Your mm. life journey up until that point has also given you the emotional charge mm. that brings that essence, and that energy into your body. And so when you perform it, you've actually felt it. You've been there. You just know what it's all about and it just comes out and you can you can see singers who can who profess to have gone through a dark time of their life and then mm. they sing with such conviction you know you can feel it so um is that what you're looking for when you're having someone who's coming out to dance them um, have been those little drama queens who've um you know you've had yeah. to tap up the shoulder and say you know get your big girl pants on now you have to grow up Absolutely. And, and I think that comes with a sense of maturity on stage. Um, I, and I think, and some people have it very naturally. So you'll see a natural dancer that will come out and they'll be able to embody um, a, a maturity or an emotional maturity that's perhaps even beyond what they've experienced themselves. And that's quite profound. You're like, well, how are you portraying this character when you haven't yourself even walked that path that the character is playing but they somehow tap into that energy uh, or tap into that 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 yeah energetic vulnerability or 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 they can portray that drama and that's often an incredible skill that actors and dancers have um but yeah i, I definitely think that it's about um leaving your um leaving your ego a little bit at the, at the in the wings and coming out and trying to to channel something a bit greater than yourself um in a way if that doesn't sound too no no i understand because there's a fantastic <laughs> heart and soul that's yeah. where, or um 
for people who have died, but they haven't been collected and taken over to the other side. And then finally, the, the, the green bus turns up to pick them up and they haven't been told what they've got to do, which is complete um, their human existence by just making sure everything's sorted before they can then transition. And it's been decades before, you know, the bus driver's sent to come pick them up. And let's mm -hmm. um, Downey Jr. Um, has this insightful ability to buddy see and, and see these um, departed souls. And so he then um, becomes the vessel for these poor humans of contemporary transition to come through and um, pass on their um, messages to the loved ones. And one of them is the guy who always wanted to sing, but was chicken, chicken scared to sing. Mm. And uh, in the end, um, Downey, Robert Downey Jr. gets onto this big stage there and and his, and his girlfriend's in the stage and, and the audience and all that stuff. And she wants to know where he is the next second he's on the stage. And um, this guy slips in and starts singing, you know, um, Star Spangled Banner. And it's he's got a baritone voice and it's just awesome presence there. And everybody wants to know how Robert Downey Jr. can actually sing because they, they've never heard him sing before. But the, the tone mm. and the richness. And then um, a bopper, big bopper comes in and starts playing the national anthem. Um in, in conjunction with this um, opera guy who's you know singing in, in his baritone voice, absolutely mm. spellbound. And um, I can understand when you said if they can get into that presence and they just sort of channel people, yeah. people sense it, people can they know, eh? They do, they do. It's this really cool ability to tap into your potential, um, and yeah, and. and yeah, and that's an extraordinary place to be able to do that. And that's why a lot of people really have those goals. Like a lot of people will say, you know, I really want to be able to be better at public speaking or I really want to be able to stand up in front of my group of friends and 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 overcome something, perhaps overcome um, a fear or a shyness um, in order to really step into themselves and and show who they are and, and and experience that incredible potential that i think we all have but we just have to to be to find it and and, and give it a go yeah well, well done you tim for you know helping people do that i do remember that um usually when you ask kids in you know, when they're toddlers or when they're in preschool, kindy, whether they can like to sing or dance or that they can sing and dance, everyone will go, yes, you know, and they'll all do it. Yeah. They've noticed that by the time that they're in grade three, you only yeah. get like, uh, seven, you know, you already lose about 35% of the kids that think that you can sing and dance. And by the time they're in high school, you'll find that it's only 30% that actually think they can sing and dance. But as you say, it's that expression, you know, expression of our bodies mm. and our voice and our feelings. That free expression mm. that um, really, you know, you're doing a wonderful thing just encouraging people to unpack that and give it freedom, freedom of expression. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It definitely has to be nurtured, and I think I was very lucky that it was nurtured for me and my family and and that I was in an environment from a young age that it could be nurtured and, um, and fostered. So, 
yeah, I, I, I love it when kids can move past that stage of being too embarrassed to do things in front of, you know, their peers or, or you know, be a bit different or be a bit unique or, or whether it's a sport, whether they've got the courage to get out there and, and you know, take the goal or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool when you can help encourage young people to get through those stages. Mm. Mm. So Jeff was telling me that when he was growing up, if boys danced, they got in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. human conditioning. But hopefully that's changed now. <laughs> but no, you know, you can well, hacker, mate. You can do the hacker because that's manly, you know. But I mean, the haka is incredible. Um, I've got, yeah, that's, I, I went to New Zealand recently and saw um, a performance of, of from from the Maori people and it's, it's so, it's so powerful. Um, yeah, but it, it's funny. I think it, it comes back to being able to um, identify with you know your heroes and and with people or you know people of your culture or your family and yeah and, and it's funny you mentioned Billy Elliot because apparently when Billy Elliot came out as a movie there was definitely a spike in in the number of boys that would enroll in dancing and so I had a, a dance school teacher say to me the other not too not too long ago she's like we just need an, we need Billy Elliot two to come out so that we can have more boys in the class. I think the um, Australian ballet dancers doing the um, you know when they did the white swans and they came out with the pictures of them in the costumes and actually looked really good. I think that's yeah. why they broke some of the stereotype as well there. Yeah, yeah. that was Matthew Bourne Swan Lake. So he did an all male. Is that the one you're talking about? The all male. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, by Matthew Bourne. That was that was incredible. I think you can find that somewhere um, on the internet. But yeah, and that that was featured at the end of Billy Elliot. So he got to play the role of the male uh, swan at the end of his um, at the end of the story. Mm. Yeah, male dancing is incredible, and I think it's 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 um, often somehow downplayed or misplaced the power of, 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 um, of a male dancer and what energy that they can bring. Um, um, you know, archetypally, it's, it's very um, expressive and often, you know, very powerful, conjures up a lot of um, emotion or, or, you know, leadership or, um, and then, of it, you know, and then it gives the male a sense of um, um, compassion and vulnerability, um, which is often lost, you know, in, in society for men. So yeah, and culturally, if you look across, um, you know, a lot of the um, different dance, the male dancer has a has a huge role to play. So I think I think we have to keep keep being inspired by that. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, in, in, certainly in, in non-Western cultures, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's India or China or Mongolia or Native American Indian, you know, the, the dance plays an incredibly important role 
terms of mm. the expression of what's going on for the collective yeah. when they're mediating with, with the elements and um, spirits and the archetypes. A lot of it is actually yeah. channeling the archetypes, isn't it? Calling yeah. them in. Um, yeah. And, you know, see, this is pre-video pre, pre on the internet, but, you know, they would actually then have to play that role, dance, you know, the, the, the harvest or the, the, um, the monster that frightens away the other monster so that it then became part of the story mm-hmm. of the tribe that that's what had happened you know, it had to be really convincing and it had to be real and mm. um and they had to just become that mm. so and i think that goes to you know i think we don't really appreciate the magic that our bodies and minds and emotions can do when they're unified and dance is though one of the areas where you can actually sort of experience that, watching other mm. people doing that. Mm. Okay. Yeah, ex- expressing and, and storytelling, I think, is mm-hmm. is a huge part of it. Yeah. Mm. So, Jeff, have we got any comments? I, every time I start looking at comments, I get bounced out. <laughs> 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 have we got any questions for for Tim? From the audience? No, no, it's just, uh, no, it's just been um, your mate Elizabeth said hello and um, Chris Gow uh, when we played um, Timothy's choreography and such perfection. Yeah, that was mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So if people want to, um, if adults or uh, if people want to ad- enroll their kids or um, if adults want to have a chance to. Uh, dance with you or learn from you, Tim. What is mm. how do they get in touch with you? What's the best point of contact? Sure. Well, um, I'm currently working, um, as I said, at Access Arts. So um, that's for artists with disability. Um, so if you know anyone with disability or or um, you know is would like an opportunity to to reach out and and contact us um, um, on there. That's tim.brown at accessarts.org.au. Um, otherwise, my um, Facebook page, Timothy Brown Choreography, um, is is there if you, if, and I, and I do, um, another part of what I've done in the past um, is, <laughs> I've also, um, done burlesque performance and you can follow me on instagram which is my burlesque name timothy turquoise um and that's a whole nother facet of the of the mirror in terms of um being dressing up more in like feathers and and all that sort of stuff which is fantastical um so yeah uh, instagram timothy turquoise uh, my facebook page timothy brown choreography um, and then um, you can contact me through Access Arts. Great, wonderful, Timothy. Tim, thank, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. And uh, yeah, it's actually the first chance I've had to put a professional dancer and find out, you know, what it's like. And, uh, so thank you for sharing us, sharing with us. Thank you so and, much, um, Julia. Thank you for having me, and thank you, Jeff. It's been awesome i feel like we've it, it and it's really cool because i feel like we talked about so much different things and and not necessarily in like a standard 
linear way. It was a very um, fun dance that we did tonight. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you might have a role to play. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you to our audience for listening as well. And maybe we can see Jeff on the dance floor one day. Actually, yeah, we might. We might not. Shut up. Who knows? Maybe he's been inspired by Tim. For <laughs> <laughs> public. Watch this space. <laughs> right, we're going to dine out now. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Folks. It's been Radio FM88 Australia. We're just going to um, break now from our live Facebook feeds and then we'll come back to the radio station and then um, we'll get back to normal programming and then our good friends will be in the green room having a little chin wig afterwards. Thank you. And thank you for listening and thank you for watching. It's been fantastic.